Let's pray together. Our good Father, we thank you that your word truly is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And we pray that by your word we might see Jesus more clearly and that we might be changed by him. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Uh, So according to dictionary.com, work is the exertion or effort directed to produce or accomplish something. So in other words, uh, work is the action that we take to make something happen. And so work is not simply what you get paid to do, but work is, is the very thing that you give yourselves to in order to see some type of result. And so the end of a year tends to be a time where we reflect on some of these deeper questions of life in a way that we don't normally do throughout the year. And it's at this time of the year, we seem to be more open to these questions of what is our life about. And so the question that I want us to be thinking about today and in the weeks ahead is a simple question of, of what is your life working towards? When, when you kind of evaluate your own life and what you're about, what you are giving your energies to, what you are giving your time to, what you are passionate about, what, what is it that you are moving towards to try to make something happen? What do you want to see happen in your life, in your family, in this church, in this community, in this world? What, what do you want to personally work Towards And how do you find out if the things that you want to work towards, the things that you're going to give your life for, are, are really worth it? And so over the next few weeks, we're going to hear about this calling to devote our lives to a particular work. And this work can be summed up in, in one word. It's, it's a work of rebuilding. And it's, it's a work that God is calling us to. And it's not... Our work because it's fun, but it's our work because it's good. And this is something that aligns with God. It aligns with His purposes. It aligns with His passion. It aligns with what He is giving Himself to do. And so, I want to read through these words in Nehemiah, starting in chapter 1. Because God is calling him to this work of rebuilding. And I believe that there are things that we can take away that can direct us in our own efforts and our own callings to rebuild. So starting in verse 1, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. And as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. Then I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven, and I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great 
an awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of your people Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though you are outcasts in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. So this morning we're going to look at where this work of rebuilding begins, where it all starts. And it, this first step involves four distinct movements that I want to identify and consider what it might mean for our own lives. And these movements are seeing, caring, pleading, and entering. So seeing, caring, pleading, and entering. And we're going to start with this first one, seeing. Nehemiah is dealing with some serious ruins at the moment. So historically, here's where we are. It's, uh, he's writing in about 445 B.C. 587 B.C. is when the empire of Babylon came to Jerusalem, laid siege to the city, laid waste to the city, took off all of the people into the land of Babylon. They left the poorest there to care for the land, and then their policy was to eventually send back citizens who were loyal to the empire of Babylon back into this nation. And so think about it this way, that the people of Israel had experienced the devastation of their land and their own trail of tears. And so they were attacked, they were destroyed, and they were forced to make the 900-mile journey. It's about the distance from Athens, Georgia, uh, to New York City. So, so they were forced to march without anything, without having lost all that they owned, taken out of their homes into this new place. And so Nehemiah is living at this moment with his brothers and sisters in exile in a land that is not home far away from this place that God had promised to dwell with his people and to be good to them and that would be theirs forever. But what's happening is there's been change of governments and there's been change of policies and people are being sent back into this land to do this work of rebuilding and Nehemiah, wondering how it's going, gets news on what's really happening. Verse 3. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed 
by fire. So even this work of rebuilding is not going well. In other words, the, the beloved city of God's people is in ruins. But it, it goes beyond just walls and gates. It says the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble or shame. See, it's not just the, the beloved city that's in ruins, but it's the beloved people of God that are in ruins. See, we're going to be talking a lot about rebuilding throughout this book, but we always need to see that underneath this work of physical rebuilding is a spiritual work. Underneath a city is a people. Underneath these physical ruins is spiritual ruins that need to be restored, that need hope, that need healing, that need help. And what happens is Nehemiah, for the first time, he, he really sees it. His eyes are opened in a new way through this report that he hears to, where he, he sees the difficulties that his family, his brothers, his sisters, his people are in. And this starts this movement, this movement of, of energy and resources and leveraging all that he has to move towards particular need but we don't want to skip this simple starting point in that before this movement happens, you first have to, you first have to see the need. Frederick Beekner says this that's been helpful to me. He says, if we are to love our neighbors, if we are to love our neighbors before anything else, we must first see our neighbors with our imaginations as well as with our eyes. Not just see their faces, but the life behind and within their faces. Uh, years ago, when I worked in the counseling office, the, the time together with a client would start, and I knew nothing about them except their name and maybe their phone number or their email address. And that would begin this process of, of getting to know this person sitting in front of me. And what I began to discover is beneath every face is a significant story. There is, there is a history. There is family. There is passions. There is hurt. There is loss. There are dreams. There is a story. There is a place. The, the, the deeper I would dig into people's lives, the more I would see there is so much more. Behind every person there is a story. You could say behind every family there is a story. Behind every church is a story. Behind every nation there's, there's so much to see. And, and if we are going to be about this work of rebuilding, of, of joining God in this work of bringing healing to things that are broken, it begins with the simple and yet significant step of slowing down, slowing down enough to see. Slowing enough sometimes to get outside of ourselves to notice what is going on in people's lives. That's going to involve listening. It's going to involve asking questions. It's going to involve time and energy. That's where this movement begins with seeing, but it doesn't stop there. It moves beyond just indifferent observation to caring, which brings us to our second point. Look at verse 4. How does, how does Nehemiah, when he hears news of the state of the city and the state of the people, how does he respond? Verse 4, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and mourned for days. 
I sat down. I wept. Not just shed a few tears. Not just gave a sigh. But, but I wept. I grieved. I mourned for days. When he gets this news about what's happening in this city and this people, it, it crushes him. And what's important to know is Nehemiah's life looks pretty good at this point. We find out at the end of our passage that he is the cupbearer to the king, which is actually a position of prominence. So you're the one who stands beside the king. You, you choose the wine for the king. You taste the wine. You, you're the one who is protecting the king to make sure it's not poisoned. It was a position of influence. It was a position of affluence and of power, of direct access to the king. You're respected. You're, you're a member of this royal court and you have certain privileges that are there. Nehemiah's life looks pretty good at this moment. Even though he is in exile, there are things that he can look about and say, my personal situation is good. But he looks beyond his own circumstances and his weeping, his mourning, his grieving is is not about the difficulties in his own life, but he's grieved about what's going on in people that he cares about. This greater work of ruins and rebuilding has so gripped him that it goes far beyond just this small circle of Nehemiah. The name Elizabeth Fry is not a household name, but she was a young woman living in England during the 1800s. And her own life, from all outward appearances, was a good one. So she came from, father was a banker. She was married at the age of 20. She was married to a wealthy tea dealer. She was able to have children, able to have lots of them. Uh, from all of her personal accounts, it, it, was a, it was a good life. But then in her early 30s, she began visiting the women's prison of London's Newgate Prison. And, and as she, she goes in there from, from her good situation into this other situation, she's horrified by what she sees. No beds, no blankets, no bathrooms, almost no food and water. These women and children are, are crammed into these cells, going to the bathroom either in buckets or on the floors, and the sights and the smell of what she sees just crushes her. And some of the people waiting there were just waiting because they were waiting a trial for stealing food, just to simply fade out starvation. And so she, she, she saw something. She, she looked and she saw one specific example of ruins. And she says, I want, I want to give my life to this work. I want to give my life to rebuilding this. And her efforts to clothe, to teach, to feed, to protect, they resulted in sweeping legal reform across the nation of England. And even that, her, her efforts looking at this one area of brokenness to rebuild that had nothing to do with her own difficulties and her own life, her efforts spread to France and Belgium and Holland and Germany. Her, her passion to rebuild spread this movement. And her guiding principle was a simple prayer. Oh Lord, may I be directed what to do 
and what to leave undone. Uh, Nehemiah looked and saw a city and a people in ruins and it broke him and he wanted to do something about it. And that brings us to to two questions that I think we all need to reflect on. And that's number one, when you look around, what do you see? What, what, What kind of ruins do you see? There is much beauty. There is much glory, but there is also much brokenness. What do you notice? And then, and then the second question, what do you care about? What, what moves you? Uh, what grieves you? Or is there indifference? And then if, if you see and you care, what then? We do what Elizabeth Fry did. We do what Nehemiah did. We even do what Jesus did. Which brings us to our third movement, and that's pleading. I use the word pleading intentionally because it captures more than just praying. When I, when I hear the word prayer, I think of something that's fairly quiet, reflected, controlled. When I think of pleading, I think of urgency and desperation and crying out and grasping on and saying, you, I need help. You've got to do something. And when I think about what, what we have here from Nehemiah, is, it's not just a simple prayer of, oh, this is what I would like to have done. If not, that's fine. But it's urgent. The continued fasting. I'm going without food, maybe going without water. I'm, I'm hungry. I'm weeping. I'm grieving. I'm fasting and praying before the God of heaven continually. Let your ear be attentive. Let, hear me. Let your eyes be open. See what we're going through. Listen to the prayer that I'm praying day and night. And in his praying, he's, he's grasping on for dear life to who God is. With, with all that he is, he's, he's just clinging. And this phrase that he uses appears again and again in the Old Testament. And it's Nehemiah saying to God, I've heard about you. I've read about you. This is who you say you are. You say you are a covenant God. You say you are faithful to your people. Well, show that to be true now. You say you are abounding in steadfast love, that you are forgiving. Well, we have sinned greatly against you. You say that you are one who helps those whom you have redeemed. Well, we need your help. It's him going back to what God has said and who God has revealed himself to be and saying, this is who you are. You, you are our only hope. We have, we have no other. This is, we are your people, verse 11. We're your servants whom you redeemed by your great power. We've sinned against you, verses 6 and 7. We've acted corruptly against you. We haven't kept your commandments, your rules, your statutes. We've been unfaithful to you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. There's a pattern in our culture uh, and even in our own lives and even in my life where, where we see ruins and often our first response is who's to blame? It's not me. It's one of you and I'm going to point the finger. And we've gotten very good at that. We, we see what's wrong and we find someone to blame for it. 
But Nehemiah, it's interesting, his prayer pushes us in a different direction. He, he pushes the boundaries from an I-you distinction to a we. It's less, you are a mess, I'm okay, I'm going to help you become less of a mess. It's, we're in this together. The things that you've done, the ways in which you failed, I, I know what that's like because I've been there and I fail. The brokenness that you experience, the bad decisions, we, we are in this together. We come from generations of ruin and we all make personal decisions that contribute to the ruin. And there's a, there's a freedom in that. And there's a community in that. And in the midst of that, it also gives us a sense of hope. Because it's not just a story of brokenness, but it's a story of the healer. And so verse 9, he goes back to these promises of, but if you return to me, you said this long ago, if we return to you, you will welcome us back. You will gather us in. You will dwell in our midst. You will be our God. And so his pleading, his grounding for this work of rebuilding is not out of his own personal desertion, but it's based on the goodness and character and grace and generosity of the God that he serves. So seeing, caring, pleading, and finally entering. Uh, Mr. Rogers once said, when I was a boy and I would see scary things in the news, my mother would say to me, look for the helpers. You will always find people who are helping. When, when we see scary things happening here, when we see ruins and we look for a helper, we see the provision of one. Nehemiah, his name itself literally means the Lord comforts. We're seeing a movement that is not as much about Nehemiah as a much about God moving through Nehemiah and through the people to comfort, to bring restoration, to bring healing. And in his life, what we're going to see in the weeks ahead is somebody leveraging themselves, leveraging their position, their power, their authority, their resources, their time, and their energy to move towards what is broken in order to rebuild it and to be a part of what God is doing in the world. And Nehemiah's life is meant to, to point to a greater comfort that's been given to us, who is someone who is more than just the cupbearer to the king, but someone who is the son of the king, someone who leveraged everything that he had in order to enter into our brokenness and enter into our ruins, to give everything of his resources that he had to offer, holding nothing back in order to bring healing. When we consider Jesus, we considering him, he sees with perfect clarity. He cares with deepest compassion. He pleads with the utmost desperation and urgency. And he fully enters into the condition of being human and enter, enters into the brokenness of our own lives. And that leads us with four simple questions. There's a lot more that we're going to unpack over the weeks ahead. But I think these are, this is a good start for us. 
as a church, looking forward to a year ahead, looking forward to a decade ahead as we ask, what do the next, we've existed 10 years as a church, what's the next 10 years look like? Let's start with these questions. First, what do you see? If you don't know what you see, slow down. Slow down and and reflect, consider. What do you see? What do you care about? What matters to you? What are you working towards? Third, what are you pleading for? Not, Not praying for. I love that you're praying, but... I think there is a call for us to become a pleading church, a begging, crying out, desperately hoping. What are, what are we pleading? What moves us so much that we're pleading with God? And finally, are you entering in? What are, what are you entering into? What are, what are you joining in God's kingdom work? Where we, we pray every week these words, your kingdom come, which means the gracious rule of our Redeemer breaking into our world, into hearts, into families, into workplaces, into communities, into unjust structures. Where, where are we entering into? Where, where are we following Jesus into these places? There is this work of rebuilding that is happening and that will one day culmination in the words of Jesus and the one day culminate in these words of Jesus who said, behold, I'm making all things new. But for now, we're called to labor, to enter in because we have a Savior who does just that. So let's join together in this hard work. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, we, we thank you that you are the one who sees, who sees us fully. You see our strengths and our weaknesses. You see our successes, our failures. You see our family backgrounds and our present dysfunction. You you see and you care with the utmost compassion. You, As we read even in our gospel lesson, you look on us with compassion. You are stirred when you see us because we seem like sheep without a shepherd to you. And then you, you plead on our behalf. You enter in fully. You do not hold yourself back in any way, but you gave even your very blood, your life, that we might be forgiven, that we might be set free, and that we might join you in this much bigger kingdom work. Strengthen our hands for this work this upcoming year. Give us a sense of resolve and dependence. Would would your love truly flow through us for the good of others? And it's in your name we pray. Amen.